Hi, welcome to the Two Lads podcast from Daniel Sharman and Leggy Langdon's Two Lads. The Two Lads podcast is a place to come and listen to topics that you may not have heard men talk about so candidly and intimately before. It's no bullshit, it's straight to the point, it's raw and it's honest. And it's a conversation that we believe needs to be started. In a world of ongoing turmoil and constant change, come listen to the two lads in a deeply vulnerable conversation that is ongoing. When I first took speed, when I was 16, why was it that I spent three days awake doing speed and all my mates went home? If you let me into the candy store, I'm going to eat all of it. Look, when you're on rock bottom, most people, you, you know, everybody doesn't like you. You've let people down. Everyone's sick of you, right? You go into an AA room and they welcome you in. They treat you like a human. The addictions that we're all in will only be healed by vulnerability, honesty, and transparency. I believe that addiction is a symptom of trauma. You have to feel the pain in order to heal the wound. The addiction part, the thing that's shutting down the pain, is selling you out of the healing. Hi, I'm Christian Leggy Langdon. Hi, everybody. My name is Daniel Sharman, and this is the Two Lads Podcast. Today's episode is part two of addiction. So if you haven't already listened to part one, then stop here, go back and listen to it. In this second part, we go deeper into my addiction story. We talk about how pleasure and pain is proportionate to each other. Daniel concludes that balance is the key to life. We go much deeper into the philosophy of how pain is a symptom of trauma and how pain is the roadmap to one's own healing. We also discuss our realization of the layers and layers of shit we must work through and that this work is always ongoing. And finally, we look at how we believe it's much easier to stay where we are and not grow and how addiction is connected to so many other areas of life like relationships, careers, and health, to name a few. All that and more on this week's episode of the Two Lads Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll shut up now. On with the show. I was reading this really interesting study on pleasure and pain. Yeah. They're located in the same part of your brain. Yeah. You can actually, the amount of pleasure that you feel is yeah. directly proportional to the pain. Oh yeah. That's why they pin like political fights against each other because they can be never resolved right. and it fulfills pain. the cortisone that kicks off in your system from the conflict yeah. is addictive. And so that was really big for me to know that whatever pleasure you feel, yeah. you will feel the converse of that, the pain. Mm -hmm. And so addicts, I think, especially people in recovery, live in a space of like, don't rely too much on anything coming to save you. So the sense that pleasure will always be there because that's not how life is. Yeah. And the relationship is always that you will feel some degree of come down, some degree of pain to this thing. So yeah. keep your life in a place of being honest and vulnerable and open because it narrows that band yeah. to the point where you can literally go, hey, lads, this is happening. I don't want to get carried away with how good things are. Right. 
And I don't want to get carried away with how bad things yeah, are. It's balance. It's balance. It's, it's balance, balance, man. And the balance, I know you've been banging on about this forever, but balance is the key to life. I, I sound like such a bloody loser now, but like I have just realized that, that balance in anything, yeah. in whether that's male, female, whether that's good and bad, whether that's, you know, all of those things, the balance of things, mm-hmm. you never get out of whack. So you can't hope that your life is all good. It won't happen like that. No. But you can bet it to it, the balance where you can deal with the bad. Yeah. And you can deal with the good. And the problem that I'm having with being alone is that I'm bored. Right. I'm bored with the sense of not being up on the spike. Yeah. I'm not getting the big dopamine hits. I'm not getting the thing. Yeah. But the being alone, being in the very vulnerable place of it being I mean I talked to my therapist and she was like you actually don't have a problem right now mm. and I'm going that's no, a problem I have a fucking problem <laughs> you're making a problem yeah I'm making a problem because I want yeah. the I want the big high yeah well that's part of balance mate you know because I think that having joy or having moments of pleasure in your life is part of that balance right that's hard to do when you've been living in the like the opposite mm-hmm. like I'm coming up against that too yeah. right now of pleasures always meant bad news you know because it's like you go into it's the fucking up. if you let me into the candy store i'm gonna eat all of it like as a kid it's that childlike thing right so you know all of this shit and inventory we've been doing over these past years has been around going like oh yeah like we're just pleasure seeking pleasure seeking and that's been bad right short-term pain relief mm-hmm. But that's different to going into the pain and feeling it and healing it, right? Right. That's the point here. And the point is you can't heal unless you feel, right? right? And so in order to heal it, what does that look like? Well, you have to attend to the wound. And that's my kind of core belief around addiction for yeah. me. It's like it's it comes from wounding. It's trauma. Addiction is trauma response. Yeah, and your thing will go into how you got there, but your kind of manifesto is all, always that like you can't look at the trauma if you're numbing it. So you can't yeah. do it while you're doing the addiction. Yeah. But once you stop the addiction, you can let, it's just the beginning actually. Yeah. And then you have to go into the pain. Well, that's pain management. And just be able to look at it to balance your life out in some way. Yeah. And it's not a perfect art ever. That's the other thing. The other thing is that you can't judge yourself negatively when you get it wrong which is for an addict almost impossible because you've got the shame kicking in and the guilt yeah. and all the things. Well, that's part of the addiction. Yeah. The shame is part of because it. Because you set a standard that's basically impossible to achieve. And when you make the mistake, you go back into the shame and then to get rid of the shame, you go to the addiction. Yeah. It's fucking nightmare. It's, it's a maze. So is talk to Legs, just give, yeah. like, what's your history with it? And like, how did you come to these very specific thoughts about it? Addiction. For you. For me. Your journey. Okay. The leggy journey. Well, you know, there's a lot of similarities. It's just when I was living as a kid and getting older, going through my life in Leeds and like being at home with my parents and, and navigating what that is as a child and like fighting with my dad or, you know, pushing back against the rules and regulations and the conflict that would happen within the family and all those kinds of things. That was just me like responding to my environment. Mm -hmm. Which was very chaotic. 
Yeah, it was on some level. It was like a lot of chaos and a lot of order, but it wasn't balanced. It was like one or the other. It was like, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of parenting style, mm-hmm. which was pretty common. You know, they were doing the best that they could do. And this is all stuff that I've kind of learnt now, right? I'm speaking now about my childhood from this perspective, obviously. No, I'm not speaking as a seven-year-old right now. <laughs> hang on, Sometimes. hang on, hang on. I'm back. Yeah, he's it, he's it. Is, it. Here he is. Where's the seven-year-old gone? Hello. <laughs> my name's Leggy Langdon from Leeds. Man, it's, it's crazy because you just, like we just were saying, if you never get asked to look at this, you're living your life. You're just getting through it as, a, as best you can. Get yourself a girlfriend, get a wife, get a job, you know, live out the rest of your life, retire, die. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's the, that's the game. That's it. And, and what fucking hell, not even judging that. It's like, that's just one way of doing it. And man, that would have been my journey, I'm sure. If I hadn't had gone so extreme, if I hadn't have been put in conditions that were so out of my wheelhouse that I was forced into like adapting to new surroundings through leaving home really young. You know, I was 16 when I left home. You know, I had a record deal when I was 16. You know, I was living out in the world trying to be the rock star and all the things and going all around the world, living in New York City and all the different experiences that I was having really young, you know, doing drugs really young for me. So like I gravitated towards this pleasure zone, the pleasure dome almost immediately. Like I was saying again, with just being like a kid in a candy store kind of thing. That's how I always was. Yeah. I want all of it and I want it now. And there was no sense. They weren't given the instruction that like, Hey, if you go for this, there will be a cost to it. No, no. It was like, well, I guess you don't really hear that because you're, you're young. And you're yeah. Like and that. I think because in the, in the way that I learned about things when I was a kid through my parents at the home, which is the, the first place you start learning shit, right? Where you learn not to put your hand on the stove or you'll get burned, right? That's your society, your, your parents or your family, you know, your guardians. And like, if it's going from one extreme, which is, you are the apple of my eye, the angel, you know, I love you. I'm smother, 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 you know, everything's amazing to all of that's gone because you've done something wrong and now it's removed. The vacuum of love has been sucked away and you're going (gasps) like that and you just want to get back to love. And how do you get back to love? Conform. You conform to what's been asked of you to get the love, right? So from early age that was how it was for me you know like I didn't have to do chores there wasn't that kind of structure in my house it was a bit more lenient in that space it was more aesthetic it was like I had to be a certain way in society for the neighbors yeah for the neighbors for the friends for the house you know this is how you do it this is the way to be right and whatever that was just that taught me a lot of cool stuff too it's just that it was conditional that was the issue. It wasn't that it was right and wrong what I was getting told. Some shit was just like basic manners and like how to work a room. But it wasn't for you. It no. was for the external. Yeah. It's like parents have children and then they go, these are going to be our mini-me's and they're going to be like better versions of ourselves. We can mold this human to not make the same mistakes I made, which on some level is like, you know, a, a, a decent idea in an innocent way of like, hey, I don't want that shit to happen to you. 
kind of thing. And like, you know, I come from working class families from the North throughout our generations until my family. And then we got a bit more, we mm. went almost into the middle class. Mm. I think for a moment, my dad thought he was there. And like, <laughs> you know, my mum certainly enjoyed that, you know, fruitful, making a bit more money, going to restaurants for dinner. That was like a novelty back in the day, you know, in the nineties. You go into Italian on a Friday night. It was like, ooh, bloody hell, push the boat out. Here we go. And like, you know, and I grew up in that environment. My brothers were in a much more working class environment because their parents were younger. They hadn't dialed their careers in, that kind of shit. Anyway, but the basics of my conditioning was there from an early age. So I learned kind of in a similar way that you're talking about around like, my value is not in me, it's in what I do. So that requires you to do stuff that gets the adulation, that gets the respect, that makes you stand out. And you had two very high achieving brothers, yeah. which meant like yeah. they were constantly yeah. being given praise. And Right. When I was coming of age, let's say 14 through 16, they were already, they left Leeds, they'd gone to New York City, right? Now, that is a hell of a jump, right? <laughs> I think Leeds and New York are twin cities, actually. Yeah. I think it's like the full staircases, New York, <laughs> Paris, Croydon. Trick. Yeah. You know, so, and it is, and it's like, even to go from Leeds to London at that time was a huge jump. It's not as big anymore, but at the time in the world. That's not it, what you did. It was massive to go to New York. I mean, just to go there in itself was like an achievement. But to go and live there, which is what my eldest brother did. And was successful there. Yeah, like went a, there. A celebrity. Started a band, had success. You know, it was just like, boom, we'll start a band, we'll make an album, and we'll have success. That's how it works, right? Every time. That's how I saw it. I was like, oh, these numpties are doing it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, it's like the family business. If you're looking at your brothers and the bakers or fucking butchers, you're going to go into the butcher business. You're going to apprentice. But especially if you see that, you know, oh, isn't our, isn't our aunt doing yeah. really well? And look know? how much adoration they were getting. From the neighbours. Yeah. And, yeah, and everybody. And it was like, whoa, you're looking around your community and everybody's worshipping. I remember going to school when I was 15, right? I was in like the last year before you do your... GCSEs. Yeah, GCSEs. And my brothers were like, it was right before they were successful in the band, but they were modeling, right? And they were in like Italian Vogue. And the, the picture of them in there, and they were looking all modeling and, and shit. And I took You'd that. Hope so. I took the. Yeah. <laughs> they're looking all like just <laughs> fucking like battered. Garbage, man. I took that picture in to school, right? And mate, <laughs> it, my cred went high through the roof it was like i all of a sudden got seen because i was like a jack of all trades at school i was mates with everyone yeah but a master of none yeah you, you know what i'm saying there you go, yeah yeah and so i remember doing that taking that picture of my brothers in they're in this magazine and all the kids just lost their mind it was like pre-internet right so this was like a big deal you took a magazine in and your brothers were in there so did you just go hey come around here these are my brothers. Yeah, yeah, I just would go. I remember being, I'm literally thinking vividly. I was in science class. I took the magazine to the class and I just showed everybody. Everybody's crowding around. Look at Chris's uh, brothers are in the magazine here. And it was just like, and I was just going, this is amazing. Really? Like I was, yeah, because I could send, I mean, this is all unconscious. I was just yeah, like, yeah. I was just like. The currency. Oh man, it was like, whoa, the girls, the dudes thinking I was cool. Everything was just like, whoa. And from that moment, 
I was like, I used my brothers, right? As like a fast track into being validated. I, I saw the power of it. It's like what you were just saying earlier about the celebrities and like how much we project onto them and like want to be them and all those things. And then, and then all of a sudden you're kind of connected to them, even though it's just, it, they were just in a magazine. It wasn't even anything. They were modeling clothes. It wasn't even their names. And it was just like, whoa. And that combined with my childhood of like the value of external validation was just set me off on a path, yeah. path. And I went to New York and I just was, and from that moment on, I was like, I'm going to be in a band because I needed that. At some point, the parents aren't going to be there. Right? Yeah. You're going to get your, you, you need, need something. Yeah, you need a supply. And I was like, whoa, it changed everything. And that's basically how I live my life from 16 to 29, right? I was unconscious of that, you know, and I went into bands. I was going to be a rock star and it all went wrong. It didn't happen the way that it happened for my brothers. Mm. And I was having success via proxy, you know, validation, but it wasn't my story. Mm. A lot of the time I had some success and I did pretty well, but Anyway, I'm just trying to set this up a little bit because of why I believe the Pleasure Dome was so powerful for me in terms of... What it gave you. Yes. Yeah. And, why, and so why then I would naturally attract myself to things like drugs and alcohol and, and all those kinds of things because pain, psychological traumatic pain, doesn't feel the same... As if I punched you in the face. No. Right. It's internal. Yeah. And so it's actually, and it's quieter. It's not as loud. And pervasive. Yeah. I and mean, it gets, you can't, you sleep with it every yeah. night. If you, you it's just always it. there. Yeah. And again, it's like this thing of happiness is the removal of pain and on some philosophical level, especially if you're, you know, into that kind of thing. That's what's going on there. Ultimately, that's, that's basically it. It's just, I've got a headache, take the Advil. I feel better. I didn't have to do anything. I just got rid of the pain. And I might still have the source at the bottom making that headache function. You know, I'm just, it's still happening, the headache. The pain is the roadmap to the wound. So again, when I was in so much pain that I was constantly self-medicating myself with all these different short-term pain relief plans, that's addiction to me. Now, I'm into this guy, Gabor Mate, mm -hmm. right? And... He really changed my perspective on addiction. That's my main kind of source of why I believe that addiction is a symptom of trauma rather than the thing itself is the addiction. It's still a real thing. Addiction's there, but like we said earlier, it's you have to feel the pain in order to heal the wound. And so the addiction part, the thing that's shutting down the pain is selling you out of the healing. So he used to work in heroin clinics, methadone clinics in Canada. And so he was just like on the front lines of this shit. And like they had these safe places to come with clean needles and all of that to like just supply, at least give them the, the tools mm. so they could shoot up their heroin with, as safely as possible. But ultimately he was seeing the same thing happening, which was like when he was actually like doing sessions with people and seeing that actually this is coming from some sort of pain that was caused from something to do with, you know, childhood or some sort of traumatic event. And that was when, when I started to hear that you're not always an addict for me as an addict at the time, 
I was like, fucking hell, that's amazing. What do you mean that you can actually, this is, this is beyond the thing that I'm doing. It's beyond the cocaine. Mm. You know, it's beyond the sex. That's merely the numbing agent for the pain. Man, that's fucking mind blowing, man. But it's also quite controversial. It's not fully adhered to, you know, he, he's outside of the mainstream narrative on addiction and I'm all for it, you know, cause it makes sense to me. It's like, why was it that when I first took speed, when I was 16, why was it that I spent three days awake doing speed and all my mates went home or some of them stayed, some of them didn't, some of them didn't were like, why would you want to be up all night? Or, okay, this, that's enough for me. I'm going home. How come that I couldn't stop? That's my journey. That's up to me to figure that out. But anytime I could have access to that immediate gratification, I would. It's very, very difficult for me to say no to that. It was when I was younger. And I've got sexual trauma, you know, from a young age. I've got trauma from the conditioning of being a love addict through conforming to get the love, all these things. And man, I never even knew about any of this. It's always been there. I'm looking at my history and I'm going, I never even had a fucking clue about this at all. And some people listening might be like, oh, it's all bollocks. You're fine. That's what happens in Leeds yeah. a lot of the time. You've got, to be, yeah, you've got to be drinking, you've got to be brushing your teeth with whiskey in the morning <laughs> for you to even show up on the radar of addiction, you know? And it's like, oh, he's all right. He's just having a few drinks. Yes, he is on all fours, <laughs> you know, proclaiming himself the rightful king of France. But, you know, she's all right. She said yes. Anyway, so it's empowering for me to feel that if I locate why it is that I've been doing these things, where it comes from, without judgment, then it means as a pathway to healing and then to a life free from that prison. Hi everybody, this is Daniel. Look, if you want to get more involved with the two lads, then we've got the solution. You join the Lad Club now on Patreon forward slash two lads. And the Lad Club is our way of connecting with you in a deeper and more intimate way than ever before. The podcast is just the start for us. Joining the Lag Club, depending on the tier that you subscribe to, will give you access for things like two extra episodes a month with topics that you can vote on, newsletters written by us, monthly lad lessons, Leggy's specially curated heart music playlist, and my personal drawings and art. Plus, if you sign up for tier four, then you'll have access to one-on-one -on -one lad meetings with me and Leggy where we'll spend 30 minutes talking to you personally and answering any questions that you might have on the topics that we've raised here. All that and more. So go check out the Lag Club now, Patreon forward slash two lads for more details on pricing and the available tiers. Trust us, this is only the beginning. We really look forward to going deeper with all of you. Come join us at the Lag Club at Patreon forward slash two lads. Yeah. I'd say that it's it's rare that people... The reason why there are such big structures around addiction now seems to me because not many people are going to look at the root trauma, which is where you're going towards. Yeah. And is knowing well, the reason that you're doing it, is it enough for you to rewire your brain? Okay, so just to be clear, I got to this place a long time after I got sober, okay? So I actually did go into AA at the beginning 
And I used AA multiple times to try to get sober. I got a few months here, 90 days there. And then I did nine months. And then after the nine months, I went out and went, did my biggest like relapse. And then after that, I got, that's when I finally did it. And at the beginning of that sobriety, I went back into the rooms for a bit. I didn't do 90 and 90. I didn't do it for long, but I did use the resource of it. And so I will say that, and because I've, it's been almost 12 years that I've not had, you know, alcohol and recreational drugs in my life, I'm probably a bit out of touch with my rock bottom. Also, you spoke about higher power earlier and my brother asks me about this, about how did you do it? How did you do it? You know, and and I think we've talked about this a little bit, but I actually don't know how I did it. It was a bit of a divine intervention, I believe, not to sound too woo-woo, but like there was a combination of timing where I was at. I did enter into a relationship about three months after I got sober, which they say not to do. And I did it. And I'm not saying that that is what to do. I'm just, that's what I did. And it, it forced me into kind of a period of arrested development where I just like handed over the controls. Like in a weird way, my ex-wife was my higher power. Yeah. And just like, I was like, I don't know how to live in any way. I'm going to just do what you say. And that's fine. And in return, I'm going to have value again and feel like a human. And that's not necessarily completely healthy to do because I certainly entered into a codependent relationship there. But for whatever it did, it certainly got me out of the early stages of withdrawal and of the substance. Maybe I transferred all of that into the relationship, which I I paid for. I paid for that. I did. It maybe kicked the can down the road a little bit, but it was certainly on a societal level. More acceptable. Much more acceptable, much more productive. It allowed me to play in a space where I no longer used those numbing agents, which cost money and there's a lot of physical damage that can happen as well as mental. So it was a lesser of two evils in some way, not to say that she was evil, but you know, and she wasn't at all, but it, that was kind of my rehab in some ways. So what I'm saying is I do believe in some sort of structure. I do. And and if it's 12 step and that's the resource that you can have, I totally support it. Look, when you're on the rock bottom, most people, you, you know, everybody doesn't like you, you know, a lot of people are not trusting you. And, you know, it's hard to, you probably owe people money. You've let people down. Everyone's sick of you, right? You go into an AA room and they welcome you in. They treat you like a human. And I think for any addict, that's powerful because at whatever level you're at, everyone's equal in that room, you know? And I used to go to rooms in New York where there were like really famous people in there and like homeless people, you know, in the same room. And everybody's sharing on a pretty level playing field in some ways. You know, it can get a bit weird for sure, hierarchical. But I do believe in, I believe in structure for sure in some form. And so... I just ended up going into the structure of a of a long committed relationship, monogamous committed relationship. I also started to go into therapy. Do you think that's legs after your marriage ended, you had a really hard time? Yeah. After the other relationship ended after that. After the marriage. After the marriage and then Ghosting. after 
Yeah, the ghosting one. Yeah. Do you think that's the kicking the can down the road a little bit? Yeah. That's I, where it came back. Yeah. I mean, years later. I hadn't learned the lesson. Right. I fully believe that. I do. It's like, you can't escape it. You can't go around it. You might be able to put a pause on it. And that might make sense to stagger, right? Staggering something, there's some logic to that. You know, you can't do it all at once. Man, honestly, I wouldn't recommend it, what I did. Because yeah. it was a long way around, I would say. I actually think that I would have probably landed quicker at maybe where I'm at now. Yeah. You know, if I could quantify it. But this is my journey, so whatever. And I'm grateful for it. But... I went from that into something else, right? Which was just looked a bit better on the surface, but I was like a robot, man. Like you won't, you didn't even know me then. Like you should talk to my brother about it. Yeah, or like, I keep look, seeing pictures of you. I'm like, you, you just look like you're hello. totally <laughs> devoid of any yeah. leggyisms. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Or oh, life. Yeah. Or life in general. Or just, or just you hello. Know, nice vitality. to meet you. My name is Leggy Langdon. Yeah. God. And it was like my version of I was all chaos and now I'm going to be all order. That's why I always go on about this to you or to anyone. It's like the balance between the two. And like, how do you know what that is? It sounds really scary to invite chaos into your life when you've only associated chaos with destruction yeah. and not living in your truth and all these kinds of things. It's like, what are you talking about? Chaos. I, it's, you know, when you're in withdrawal from whatever thing it is, um, we spend hours on the phone and I just was just bawling. I mean, the yeah. withdrawal is the same as any heroin that people take. It's it's the same, you know, whatever you're withdrawing from that yeah. gives you, is not only you're withdrawing from that, the, the pain is so massive. But like you say, the only way is to sit. And I mean, I couldn't get more than 29 days. That was it. It was always this 28, 29. It was like the three week mark just after. I was like, I yeah. didn't want to, I just didn't want to get out from under it mm -hmm. it was like my mind would find a way to get out from under it and I had to stagger it in that way I had to stagger right, it right right because I couldn't just go cold turkey because it felt like I was making too much of a decision to get rid of it right I was like you can't too get much, rid of it you can't pull the knife fully out of the wound no, without I'm, some sort of plan and I'm still feeling like shit I wonder if I'd have gone fully cold turkey for a year which is what they recommend in some programs then you are supposed to have a life that is basically kind of in your own control. And I sometimes think, did I, the self-doubt comes in, did I give it enough time? But it's brutal, man. And it's like, it's dulled me. My my sense of pleasure is also dulled. Yeah, you have an issue with pleasure. Yeah, I have a it's huge issue with it. It's hard for me to feel good. Also, it's a little, I've noticed this is that you feel is inauthentic. A bit of it, you know what I'm saying? Like that softness that's hard for you, you know? Because it seems inauthentic. Because you don't recognise it as like genuine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I find softness to be equal to naivety. Right. That's brutal, man. Yeah, you know that is brutal. It doesn't allow you a space of being soft. Yeah. And it's like kind of the thing of, in the opposite way, if everyone's a villain, you're going to get the villains. If you throw the net over everyone, you'll capture the villains, but you'll also get all these innocent people too. But yeah. at least you got the villains, right? And if you just discount pleasure or softness or, you know, any of those things as not safe, 
in the positive side, you won't get tricked into something that's not genuine, but you'll, you also potentially are missing out on actual genuine connection and all that stuff. It's a reaction. We're, we're all doing it. Yeah. And it's a commitment thing. You know, that's about commitment is to know that you can commit to something. Right. And give it your all Mm -hmm. and not hedge your bets because the hedging of the bets is part of a fear of the failure. Right. The failure being soft naiveness. But the next level of that is trusting that you can fail and that you are able in actual fact to rise up through the failure, right? Also this notion, and we I've talked about this a little bit with you, is the loving of yourself even when you fail, Failed, yeah. even when you're in, out of alignment with your truth, you still love yourself. I know, and it's the, actually the only <laughs> antidote to it because yeah. the shame, I know, but it's, it's Otherwise like you go, this is the journey. Yeah, I but get it. It's hard. It's, it's good, hard. mate. It's, you know, and I have it with two lads. I mean, I say to you all the time, like, they've done it now. That was it. It's not going to happen now. That's it. We, we get, we've done it. it. Catastrophize. Yeah, catastrophize because the thought process is, yep. I want to get ahead of the failure, right? Right. And before the failure happens, mm-hmm. great. Okay, right. That's, I can get ahead of it. Then I'm not blindsided by the failure because the failure Mm-hmm. Uh, to kind of keep going on your point is too debilitating to my whole body. Right. My internal love goes away and my external love goes right. away. Which will put you into shame. I mean, a bit. We did a whole two episodes on it yeah. because it's but like, that's the, th- that's, the, that's the loop. That's the loop. Because then, because you didn't love yourself in the moment of failure, then you go into shame, which triggers the behavior of back to whatever we've done. Yeah. It's it fucking mental. Love or self-loathing. Love yeah. or self-loathing. Yeah. yeah. You're going, wait. And we do that in society. When somebody does something wrong, we want to like- Kick them out. Kick them out. We want to, they have to be punished. And it's like, fucking hell, man, that's- it's such a minefield that it really is. It really is. Well, that just leads me to my my last point about this. Your last, last point. This is point. this is Daniel Sharman's my last, last point. This is my whole point of addiction. This is the <laughs> anthology. If you listen Daniel, to one thing this, this episode, is this is it. Go. Okay, it is that we are happiest yep. when we are in a group or tribe or gang of people. When we feel a part of something, connecting, we are happiest. Okay. When we get kicked out of that, or if we self-flagellate or self-exile ourselves from that group. How? By removing yourself, by not turning up to a group thing, by not involving yourself with the messiness of interaction and connection. Yep then that's when self-loathing and shame happens. So it seems to me like the creation of those tribes or those things are, are really important. Yeah. And also... We're social beings. And humans. also the tribes that you have to be self-accepting and they have to be accepting of others as well. Yeah. Because the idea that we are pious... Meaning? Meaning holier than now... Right. ...is a misnomer it's a total fallacy yeah because if you can't accept that in somebody and in somebody else their failure their addiction their stuff then you lose the ability to have your own self-love and and those things and i think christopher hitchens said like you never never allow the pious to rule or the humorless Mm. because it's 
Humorless. Humorless, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you can't have humour and you're pious, then you're fucked. fucked. Then there's no fucking point to this. And that's what's happening, is we're losing our sense of humour. We are, yeah. And we're becoming pious in our beliefs on both sides. And it's... It's global addiction. It's it's insanity because the tribe we're trying to evolve as will only get better with the knowledge of self-love. Yeah. And the addictions that we're all in will only be healed by vulnerability, honesty, and transparency. Yeah, it's true. And it's fucking hard, mate. It really is hard. And we're not even... Every time we go through a layer, it's another layer. You know, it's ongoing, right? I mean, you, you know, you just pointed to my stuff around you know, the next step. Yeah. It's like, yeah. they're just layers and layers and, and there's it no... It just means you're moving, mate. That's yeah. what it means. That's all it is. It's yeah. just like, here's the next level or whatever you want to call it through and go, we can turn back again. You yeah. can always turn back, you know, if you want yeah. and not do it. And like, you or know... Or you can push yourself. Or you can push yourself through. To the edge. Yeah. And like, fucking hell, like I'm susceptible to it. Like way easier to not do it. So way easy. easier. I know to sit in your place and not, Push your actions to yeah. move you forward. Oh yeah, bollocks! It's bollocks. <laughs> That's like a million degrees in here, mate. It's so hot. Okay. Is there anything you want to say about addiction before we go? I don't know. I don't. Did I say it all? I think. I think we started you, it. We've started the conversation. <laughs> it's a long going conversation, conversation, mate. It's funny because addiction is also connected to so many things that you start touching on other things. It's like everything that we do, there's this addiction thing attached to it because it's like this the distortion of every trait in my personality. <laughs> Something to do. How, how does addiction affect love? Yeah. How does addiction affect my career? How does yeah. my addiction affect my health and fitness? Whatever it is, right? Yeah. It's all, it's fucking sneaky bastard. And it is and like, you know, what I feel like it's like looking at a hole, right? That's been kind of melded by your own environment and you've been pushed through this hole. Yeah. And that's how you see the world is... Right. The shape that you come through that hole yeah. with, you yeah. know, this, th- and you're like, well, this is, these are the edges yeah. and this is it. Yeah. And then when we have these conversations, I go, oh, well, that little ding here, that's probably from this, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's probably formed in shame. Yeah, and this yeah. is probably <laughs> did that. And they all kind of go into these other podcasts yeah. that we've talked about, but they are all interconnected, yeah. but they all come out of where we were fucking slammed through this hole. Yeah. And this is an unlearning. It's all like reprogramming neural pathways. It's talking about, it's unlearning this, it's trying this. It's That's what's the creative set part of all this stuff. We can get really creative with our ideas of what we want to do in our lives. Yeah. Dude, we're going to be 80 before we know it. I know. You know, and then and then what? It's like, fucking hell, man. We ain't got long here. I know. And, and so if you can unding the hole and enjoy the moment that you have right, right now, now, that's it. That's it. And so every time we do this, I, I get such a jolt because it's like I unding a little bit of this this kind of sphere that has, has been kind of melded by my upbringing. Yeah. And then I go, all oh, right, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I've done something today that's worthy. Yeah. And I look around and I... and because I'm not in future anymore. Yeah. I'm not in, oh, this is the person I want to be more present. Yeah. It allows me to deal with the present and therefore affect my future, which is, you know, literally all we're doing is yeah. having a conversation. It's and we so can do simple. That. It's so simple. And it's so great to do it. Mate, I've loved this it. Loved it. Loved it. Yes, mate. Yes, mate.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Two Lads podcast. This conversation is ongoing and it involves all of us together. So we'd love to hear from you. Let us know if there's a subject that you'd like us to talk about and let us know what you think about the conversation so far. The Two Lads podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts. So please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episode and give us a five-star review. Tell your friends about us. All of that stuff really helps us a lot. We really appreciate it. Sending you all love. Until the next time. Yes, lad. Yes, lad.